What's up, everybody? Welcome to Building Our Power. This is Gabby. And KT. And we're back with another episode. Thank you for checking out our last one, part four of Blood in My Eye. We're going to keep the ball rolling. Start on part five. Remember, guys, if you would like to donate to the work we are doing in the community, uh, which is now that Christmas time is here, once a time, we're trying to collect coats. We're trying to raise money for coats. Um, trying to continue to stock the fridge. Um, if you would like to donate, you can do so. Link is in the description. If you would like to join us in the work we're doing, you can do that. Link is in the description. Um, we are in the process of trying to create some personal designs and flyers to give out, uh, at least by the beginning of next year. So if you'd like to be a part of that, you can definitely do so. Um, and yeah, we're going to get right into part five of our reading of Blood in My Eye and Discussion. And we are on page 43. In a black colony and other depressed areas of the country, there will be less difficulty in organizing, mobilizing, and altering the attitudes of the people towards their class enemies. However, in the areas of the class structure that can be said to be, quote, making it, affecting attitudes towards a revolutionary change in the system of production and distribution will, of course, call for the destruction of their comfort. The manufacturing of a condition where they will be either neutral or complementary to the revolutionary effort. The psychological effect of our secret army, the real destructive effect it can have, an increasingly pervasive underground press with new emphasis on a, quote, mass style, the popularization of the revolutionary culture, and then the elevating of it, both under the direction of an ultra-aggressive political party, these three, with no element missing, connected to the realistic issues, form the basis of our only hope. There will be no educating, no consciousness, no revolutionary culture, no forward movement without these three elements working with the harmony of a healthy organism. To sum up, the existence of a political vanguard precedes the existence of any of the other elements of a truly revolutionary culture. If the thrust of this political vanguard is effective, demonstrating realistic, sincere designs aimed at the overthrow of established power, it will be attacked by the built-in automatic survival instincts of the established power complex, creating and supporting the need to counterpoise the violence of power. Without the ability to organize a counterforce to neutralize the violence of established power, antithesis dies. We are not contending with fools who will allow us to simply walk in and organize people to war against them. All serious challenges will be met with panic and repression. That is axiomatic. We must not allow ourselves to be hunted, imprisoned, and murdered. We will never yield to terror tactics. We will organize a violence of our own, hidden and more aggressive. We fight from a position of weakness, but there are tactical devices that, if employed without restraint, will afford us a very real advantage. The fascists believe that one guard with a machine gun can control a thousand men, but I know that this guard cannot watch all 1,000 at once. While his attention and guns are trained on a gathering of ten who whisper freedom, closing on his blind eye, my knife will claim his life. A political thrust is immediately followed by a hidden military thrust in the opening phases of revolutionary culture. Leadership must be protected, and it helps people bit by bit to understand and relate to the necessity of violence in any plan to overthrow anything. Overthrow means violence. In our case, it means putting to death. This is the last time I'll repeat this for those of us who 
for one dread or another seem too receptive. Fighting originates from a well-developed kick in the ass. The proletariat, the working class, is still the most revolutionary class and still the real gravedigger of capitalist society. However, the notion that they alone can or must carry the revolution is too ridiculous and simplistic for any serious consideration at all. The industrial working force of today's modern industrial state may be pivotal in carrying out a successful revolution against the state, but their power and numbers have been vastly reduced by such developments as automation, military corporate elitism, the connection through marriage of government, military, and corporate heads, the new class of National Guard pigs, they broke the postal strike, government control unions, right-to-work laws, etc. The argument that centers on the ideal that all workers must be politically educated before the revolution can support a violent thrust verges on absurd. Today, nearly 6.5 million of them can't find work, and those who are working seem to be convinced that foreign wars and armaments spending are more desirable than unemployment. Of course, they should be made conscious of their exploitation, and they must be moved to act in their behalf. Those who feel that they are doing well, and those who are actually are doing well, should be introduced to the fact of surplus value. Waiting passively for the final verdict of history is not making revolution. It flies in the face of revolution. It ignores the existence of bread and circuses, terror from the right, and the racism and animalism of the ruling class pigs. It doesn't take into account the fact that they know we are coming. They know how to hold on to their prejudice. Could they have held it this long otherwise? We are being repressed now. Courts that dispense no justice and concentration camps are already in existence. There are more secret police in this country than in all others combined. So many that they constitute a whole new class that has attached itself to the power complex. Repression is here. It's time to move with determination. After our victory, no one will escape our justice with the now historical classic line, quote, well, we didn't know, unquote. Repression is here now, and we won't reach the next level of revolutionary consciousness and activity until we meet it with a counter-terror and demonstrate to the people that we are here and resistance is possible. Okay, so yes, pretty much what he's saying here is that... um you know, as soon as they start, we start organizing and stuff, it's going to be violence. Like, they, like you said, these people aren't just going to be like, oh, okay, y'all are starting something and whoop de doo just going to let you do it. The only time they do that is with the Proud Boys or with, like, the extreme right, the militia men and all that stuff because they on similar sides. Yeah. But for us, it's not for to just be like a doo-doo-doo-doo. And so I guess that's why he also was promoting, you know, doing things underground. Like, you're not, you're not finna be seen until it's time to actually get stuff done. Like, a lot of the preparation and stuff should be underground. Um... And uh, just pretty much talking about, you know, overthrowing means violence. Um, And, you know, there also will be a time of reckoning for the petty bourgeoisie and the bourgeois people. You know, they claim to to be down or you trying to get them down. A lot of times they're not going to be down because what what we're um, calling for is a shifting of their entire world. Uh, They're doing okay now. And... um, 
revolution might mean they might not be doing as good, right. you know? And especially, you know, some people, they, they base their worth on how well they're doing in proportion to other people. So if everybody's doing equally, then they may not want that. Um, so, yeah, so that's another thing that we'll have to that will have to be dealt with. But he was also saying that this will not just be a working class effort. And it can't just be done by the working class. Now, if he thinks that you it's it's okay it's we're able to uh, recruit the petty bourgeoisie, there might be some petty bourgeoisie that might do it. But I don't see no bourgeoisie people uh jumping on board to this unless they just have like a uh Charles Dickens moment. Like uh, the Christmas Carol, and they're just like, I want to change my life around. I I do not have hope in people like that ever changing their minds. Um, and then something else he was saying was, you know, the thought that we have to uh, politically educate uh, the working class before a revolution. Uh, or he said the argument that centers on the ideal that all workers must be politically educated before the revolution can support a violent thrust verges on the absurd. Um, now, he was saying that, you know, the working class doesn't need to be politically educated um, because they're living their the circumstances now. They're living the exploitation, which I think it goes to some point and it can go only so far, though, because you can have people that, that see that they're being exploited and then immediately flip the script. What the hell are hotels? They know that there is a white supremacy. They know that there's we've had a history of slavery and uh, all that other stuff. But they flip it on around and instead of talking about that, then it's turned into there's this conspiracies and it's it's this person and it's that person. Like that you have the anti Semitic people who 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 realize there's some type of uh exploitation with capitalism, but instead of blaming it on capitalism, somehow it's the Jewish people's fault. And then you have just other working class people who may think, yeah, it's okay for me to, I want to make a living, but I don't want to work with this trans person. And so what you're going to end up doing is have a whirlwind of horse shit. If the baseline, the bottom line isn't just about you're being exploited by your boss. We got that. Okay. Majority of people have that. How does that, how does that uh, translate into the way that we relate to others? Did you know that your transphobia has something to do with your exploitation with capitalism? Like all these things have to be put in together or you're going to get into the fight. or You're going to start organizing mm-hmm. and it's immediately going to crumble because it's not rooted in what it should be rooted in, which isn't just me getting mine and me having an equal life, a good life for myself. It's about everybody in our collective work and effort into making sure we all have a better life so yes i kind of i disagree on that part um i guess that's where like intersectionality and 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 all that other stuff like ableism like that we didn't even hit on that like there's so much that that people need to be educated on not saying they're gonna be graduate students or nothing like that but you have to have a baseline of i'm not gonna be a bigot and i'm going to try to deconstruct all of the the isms that i have inside myself yeah. No, I mean, I definitely agree with that. He does end up going on to say, you read, uh, that, of course, they should be made conscious of their exploitation and they should be moved to act on their own behalf. Those who feel that they are doing well and those who are actually doing well should be introduced to the fact of surplus labor. Uh, I mean, surplus value, which is interesting, but I feel like 
Like, yes, this is George Jackson, George Jackson, and yes, he has talked a lot about, like, uh, black people issues and black problems, but that kind of, like, to me, that kind of reduces it down to, like, this is a class issue, and not necessarily, like, like you said, this is an intersectional issue. This is an issue that, like, spans over multiple centuries that isn't just one group of people mm-hmm. and we we've got to educate those group of people even if those people can recognize that they are being exploited like these white uh men that you see on twitter they can quote marks they know that they're being exploited at home i mean at work but the moment the absolute moment that you put them into a group of black people oh all of a sudden they're racist and they mm-hmm. don't understand class issues right. yeah so um yeah, I agree definitely. Um, we'll go read it. Maybe, maybe he gets more into it. Let, let's see. Uh, he says from a letter mailed by Jonathan shortly before his death. Why do we go f- for this old shit? Most of the fascist functionaries live as unguarded as I do. I could slip a knife between Max Rafferty's ribs, the Agnews and Duponts, the Rockefellers and Morgans, all of the Getty, Hunt, and Hughes types who sneak around in armored cars and jets are just as reachable. Anyone who will come out of his bomb shelter can be had. Imagine what Nixon's armed car would look like if I stepped out of the alley and hit it with an anti-tank rocket launcher under my coat, a ball of fire. Hell would be their reward. But the gorilla needs our help. When Jonathan steps forward with his anti-Nixon rocket launcher, there should be nine more like himself with assault rifles to close an exit path for him. And there should be a political infrastructure, a cadre, not far away to explain his actions and glean from them the greatest possible overall political effect. Prestige stands between the masses and a revolt against their class enemy. The aura of magic, glamour, luster, and splendid permanence covers the fascists like a protective layer of fat. The slimy scales of majesty shield and conceal the dilapidation of the old bourgeois reign of terror. Although in reality nothing remains but the illusion, they can still organize violence, but the Indo-Chinese have proved that to be not too formidable. Our present task is to illustrate this point forcefully to the people. The fascist industrial state can organize a ponderous, mechanized violence, but this systematic, industrially-based holding action is helpless before the fluid, mobile, self-impelled attrition, attrition of people's urban guerrilla warfare. With his techniques fully developed and established, the urban guerrilla launches his attacks on the corporate military police complex with some of these military objectives in mind. To weaken the local guards or the security system of the dictatorship, given the fact that we are attacking and the guerrillas defending, which means catching the government in a defensive position with its troops immobilized in defense of the entire complex of national maintenance, with its ever-present fears of an attack on its strategic nerve centers, and without ever knowing where, how, and when that attack will come. To attack on every side with many different armed groups— Few in number, each self-contained, and operating separately to disperse the government forces in their pursuit of a thoroughly fragmented organization instead of offering the dictatorship the opportunity to concentrate its forces on repression on the destruction of one tightly organized system operating through the country. To give proof of its combativeness, decision, firmness, determination, and persistence in the attack on the military dictatorship in order to permit a malocontents 
to follow our example and fight with urban guerrilla tactics. Meanwhile, the government, with all its problems, incapable of halting guerrilla operations in the city, will lose time and suffer endless attrition and will finally be forced to pull back its repressive troops in order to mount guards over the banks, industries, armories, military barracks, prison, public offices, radio and television stations, North American firms, gas storage tanks, oil refineries, ships, airplanes, ports, residents of outstanding members of the regime, such as ministers and generals, police stations, and official organizations, etc. Okay, we're going to stop right there. Uh, and I want to go back to this one thing that he was talking about. Uh, of course, Jonathan is just like, Jonathan is, is here for it. Jonathan is like... There is literally, <laughs> there's literally nothing that's stopping us from making it bang and making people fall except just going out there and doing it, just having the means to do so. And, uh, and George is saying, yes, this is true, but he's also going to need backup. And not only will he need physical backup with weapons, he will need an infrastructure there. That is uh, helping to push a narrative. That's helping to to get the message out of why he's doing what he's doing. And um, I like how he also talked about um, there's a prestige of the West, pretty much of of our country. And uh, he calls it the aura of magic, glamour, luster, and splendid permanence that covers the fascists like protective layer of fat. That makes them feel like they're untouchable. That makes them feel mm-hmm. like they're just gods. Like, oh, no, I could never. Oh, no. And a lot of this stuff is psychological. Now, some of this stuff is material. You know, America spends a lot of money on defense. A lot of money. More than anything. To make money, yes. But some of this stuff is like we've it's been scared out of us that's why we 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 only want to go out in the street sometimes because it's like oh what if what if what if and i think about like some of that stuff that was going on with the george floyd stuff mm-hmm. like the way them cops would was literally beating people with with uh batons and and hitting people it reminded me of the 1960s but Majority of the time, there was more people than cops. And all the people had to do was run over there and bombard them people, get whoever it was that was um, that was being attacked, and, and the, as a group, move them out the way. Like, but it's, it's, it's a lot of deconstructing our mind to think that we have the power to do that. Okay, yes. You may go to jail. Yes, they may do this. They may do that. But if we're not, if we're not willing to do that... Like, we're not going to be willing to do anything. But what Jonathan was saying is, like, we haven't even tried to do that stuff yet. So, that's something to think about. But, yeah. A lot a lot of this stuff is lore when it comes to America. Like, think about all the indoctrination. America's the best. America's the dish. Can't nobody ever beat us. The, and the Vietnamese literally beat them. But we don't ever tell that full story. We don't ever tell the full story of all the... The other countries and stuff that beat America over the years, like those stories, it gets it gets lost. It's like little blurps. We only talk about the victories, and we and, and they do that on purpose so that we can't study those things and see, you know, what tactics they use and what we can maybe take for ourselves. But yes, um, and then 
the rest of it, he's uh, pretty much talking about um, the, the role of the urban guerrillas and like some of the tactics they'll use. And we'll get more into that um, next week when we read uh, do part six. Um, but yes, definitely, definitely get into the good stuff. Definitely get into the, the nitty gritty, the logistics of it all. Cause like I said, we do want to think more so of how, how, and and boots on the ground type stuff. And, um, yes, even on TikTok, we were talking about it and, um, I told them, you know, I was going to do a little bit more research for myself and see if I can find some designs or information about, you know, getting arms, arms training, learning about arms and all stuff in this relation. And if I find some good stuff, you can email us, hit us up and I'll, I'll shoot it to you. Um, but yes, that's where we're going to end for today. Um, if you have any comments, you can put it in uh, YouTube or hit us up at RPWR on all social media channels. If you'd like to donate to the work we are doing in Memphis, Tennessee, you can do so. Link is in the description. If you'd like to join us, uh, you can do so. Link is in the description. Oh, I forgot. We do have the Patreon if you'd like to give monthly to uh, support the work we're doing. And uh, yeah, this has been Gabby. And KT. And this has been Building Our Power.